From COK Studios in Eric Deggins' Dumbwaiter, this is Consider Our Knowledge. I'm Connor Bentley. And I'm Dinah Jones-Mallow. On today's show, we'll consider the extra strain being placed on the Secret Service as they try to protect President Trump and his family. We'll also consider some of your questions in a special Ask Alex edition of our Consider Your Health series. And we'll consider how to make an American quilt. Stay with us. Support for Consider Our Knowledge comes from PBN, now showing the American Heritage Series on every U.S. president. Tonight, two non-consecutive episodes profiling Grover Cleveland. Check local listings for showtimes. And Scrotal Recall, a men's outpatient health clinic exclusively devoted to vasectomies and family planning. Scrotal Recall, we're making a vast difference. This is Consider Our Knowledge. I'm Connor Bentley. And I'm Dinah Jones-Mallow. Nearly every weekend since his inauguration, President Trump has flown from Washington to one of his homes outside the Capitol. Most often, he's stayed at his private Mar-a-Lago club in Florida, but has also spent time at his golf club in Bedminster, New Jersey. All this extra travel by the president means a lot of work for the United States Secret Service. The difficulties for the Secret Service are further compounded by Trump's wife and young son, Barron, who are still not living in the White House, as well as Trump's globe-trotting adult children, who all require a Secret Service detail. Due to budget caps, the Secret Service is currently operating at lower numbers than they have in modern times. That, combined with the travel schedule and the need to secure multiple locations, puts a manpower strain on the Secret Service week after week. Lawmakers are attempting to give the agency more support to cope with the strain. But what about the agents themselves? I spoke to two current Secret Service agents who talked with us on the condition of anonymity. There are now some 3,200 special agents and another 1,300 uniformed officers in the Secret Service. But that number is hardly enough to keep up with the demands of the Trump administration. We're the best line of defense, and it's an honor to serve the president and our nation. Absolutely. We are proud of our jobs. The agents we interviewed seemed reluctant to get into any specifics about guarding the Trump family, or if they were under any increased strain since Trump took office. It's all very routine, ma'am. We're doing our best to keep the president and his family safe. So there's nothing atypical about this administration? Not at all. We're used to it. What all do you do? We do anything and everything that the president requires. Yes, but what does that include? Securing buildings, establishing perimeters, keeping potential threats at arm's length. So there's no additional strains being placed on your agents? No, ma'am. None at all. Well, um... What? Well, you know, I mean... Don't do this, Daryl. I, I just can't keep it bottled up anymore, Bruce. Guarding the Trumps is awful. I want to quit. He's right. It sucks. I have ulcers from the stress. Really? Tell me more. We're working like 20-hour days. It's brutal. If I'm not guarding the president at the White House, I'm at Mar-a-Lago caddying for the president when he golfs. You caddy for him? Oh, yeah. And he cheats. All the time. It's terrible. And then I have to guard him while he eats his lunch on the toilet. Wait, the toilet? Yeah. He eats like a bucket and a half of KFC while he tweets and defecates. The sounds that come out of there are frightening. It's worse than anything I experienced in my three tours in Iraq. The horror. The horror. That's nothing. I have to guard Melania and Baron at the Trump Tower. Ooh, what's that like? It's like The Shining or The Omen or some shit. 
Baron is mean. He does things to me and the other agents when Melania isn't looking. Someone poured what turned out to be pig's blood on me and another agent while we were waiting to take Baron to school. He says he didn't do it and that it was a member of the fake news media, but I know it was him. He gave me a note the other day that just said, Soon. I'm scared, man. He talks to me inside my head without saying anything. That does sound like a very hard time for the Secret Service. It's impossible. And I always wanted to be like the guys on Mission Impossible, but this is way worse than anything they had to do. Oh, totally. Tom Cruise never had to go into a bathroom that was just destroyed by Donald Trump. Or have nightmares about Baron riding his tricycle around Trump Tower with creepy twin girls. Hopefully Congress can get some relief for the overworked Secret Service agents who are clearly getting PTSD from protecting the first family. For COK News, I'm Dinah Jones-Mallon. You're listening to Consider Our Knowledge. Now we turn to our Consider Your Health series. Alex Truman is back with us today to take listener questions in a special Ask Alex edition. Good to see you, Alex. Likewise, Cotter. So let's just get right into some of the questions. I'm excited to hear them. In fact, I should probably take a hit of my inhaler, just so I don't get too overstimulated. Oh, that's a good idea. (laughs) All right, well, our first question is an email from Ned in Indianapolis. He writes, Dear Alex, I'm a nurse and I just read a story about a doctor who made his hospital a no-handshake zone in an attempt to cut down on the spread of infections. What do you think about that? Well, Ned, as a germaphobe myself, I abhor all forms of human contact, including hugs, kisses, backpats, high and low fives, and even handshakes. I think the story you're referring to is about Dr. Mark Skladsky from the David Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA. He instituted a no-handshake zone in the newborn ICU at UCLA by putting up no-handshake signs and encouraging alternate greetings to help reduce the spread of germs. Well, that seems reasonable. So, Alex, you never shake hands. <laughs> never. My entire life is a handshake-free zone, Connor. So how do you greet people? I try to make good eye contact, but my cataracts and lazy eye make that difficult. Um, I often just say hello and then do a namaste gesture, but my scoliosis has made that difficult lately, though. Um, Good luck avoiding headshakes in your hospital, Ned. Okay, our next question is a call from Stephen in Fresno. Hello, Stephen. You're on the air. Hi there. I... I think I might have ADHD, but I'm not sure. I I heard there's a test you can take to see if you have it. I think I should maybe take it. Uh, Well, Stephen, diagnosing attention deficit hyperactivity disorder can be difficult. The symptoms of the disorder, as defined by the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, or DSM, have changed multiple times. Uh Huh? Even if you know what to look for, many of the symptoms are pretty general, including things like trouble focusing and a tendency to interrupt. Hey, look, it's raining. Oh, my gosh. Sorry. I'm sorry. What was that? There's a six-question screening test published in the Journal of the American Medical Association that said it could reliably identify adults with ADHD. Uh Uh-huh. Test. Yeah. But the test is somewhat misleading since some adult patients meet multiple criteria for ADHD, such as inattention, hyperactivity, or impulsivity, but may not have the disorder. 
David. I'm. Oh, oh my gosh! I'm sorry. Can you can you say that again? I was texting my buddy Phil. Steven, I think that you might actually want to avoid any simple tests and get a real clinical diagnosis. Diagnosis? For what? Uh, adult ADHD. Oh my gosh, you think I have that? Uh, anything is possible. Ha, this cat on Instagram sneezed and fell off the couch. I'm sorry, what was that? Never mind. Thank you for your call. Finally, we have another email from Jessica. She wants to know what options she'll have if the Republicans pass an Obamacare repeal. Well, I would suggest filing your Canadian citizenship papers as soon as possible. I already have. Seriously? That's a bold move, Alex. Oh, I know, but it's necessary. I look forward to my time in Canada, home to such amazing sights as Parliament Hill in Ottawa, to Toronto's Prince Edward Viaduct, to the oil wells of Edmonton. I feel like my general politeness will serve me well as I eventually move north for health reasons. Well, it sounds like you've got a good plan there, Alex. It's the only plaid cutter. Thanks for coming by. My pleasure. That was Consider Your Health with Alex Truman. Now it's time for this week's Big Little Wins, because we all need a win now and again, no matter how little. Let's take a minute to acknowledge Trudy Lowell in Eureka Springs, Arkansas, for recycling. Recycling? Is, is that it? Yes, Dinah. Recycling. Okay, but was it a large amount of recycling? Or? No, it was just a plastic yogurt cup. But that's not the point. Every little bit of recycling counts. Fair enough. Kudos, Trudy, on this big little win. Our other big little win comes from Stuart Gower in Providence, Rhode Island. This weekend, Stuart folded a fitted sheet correctly for the first time ever. Even though it took four hours, you got it done. Well done, Stuart! If you or someone you know has a big little win, let us know by posting on our Facebook page or sending us a tweet. That's all for this week's episode of Consider Our Knowledge. If you want more from the best-looking news team in public radio, go to our website, considerourknowledge.com, for more news and stories. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. You can download the podcast at iTunes and at Stitcher Radio at stitcher.com. This week's episode is dedicated to the late, great Roger Moore, who passed away last week at the age of 89. Thanks so much, 007. We'll miss you. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Connor Bentley. From COK Studios in Eric Deggins's is tough to say. It is. Thanks, Eric Deggins. Strap in.